It's the Big Sunday interview from the Irish Man Abroad podcast. We've been bringing you these kind of interviews, deep dives with the biggest names in Irish life for the last 10 years. And we're available on all podcast platforms for free ever since day one. A change took place a little while ago when we gave you deep dive, even more bigger cuts of every episode, a further 40 minutes over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. That is how we keep the lights on. So to hear the full conversation with Ali Ryan today, that's where you'll need to go. That said, in this first section of our conversation, we go all sorts of different directions around the origin of the website that she created in 2014, the inimitable goss.ie. She is, of course, as I said, the founder, CEO, editor and managing director of Ireland's leading entertainment website. She's also an award winning journalist and NNI winner in 2012 and 2013, the youngest ever winner of uh, the award for showbiz journalist of the year. Her story is quite extraordinary and at the moment she's just emerged from her law exams at Griffith College. Like why would she be doing that now? Why would you be going back to college when you have your business portfolio set up? Well, as Ali reveals here, it all traces back to a certain sense in her childhood that the world wasn't fair and that justice was a little bit beyond the norm. In 2020, Alexandra Ryan joined the Minister for State to launch a campaign to combat the sharing of intimate images without consent, having had experience of this in her own life. And of course, we do talk about that in the second half of this interview. It involves some strong language. It could be triggering for some people. I just wanted to flag that if you are coming over to Patreon to hear it. It is very tough uh, conversation to have but one that's absolutely necessary and Ali of course speaks with the level of honesty that people have come to expect from her I love this conversation I love this chat and the second half of it is something that you're going to love but the first half really sets out who Ali Ryan really is and how Goss.ie came about I hope you enjoy it as much as I did it's the Ali Ryan episode of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Johnny Rigo! Ali Ryan, it's brilliant to have you on Irishman Abroad, especially now that uh, your exams are behind you. People not, might not know this, but you were uh, fully in the grind of the academic exams in the last week or so. I think that that will surprise people because they probably know you as a businesswoman. Uh, what 
what possessed you to go back and go into what a lot of people regard as the nightmare of study? The nightmare of study and not just third level study, but studying a law degree, probably one of the most difficult Mm -hmm. undertakings anyone could take. So I always actually wanted to study law when I was in secondary school. That was actually my plan by the time we got to sixth year. Remember, we had plans (laughs) back then that made no sense, really. But that was my first choice. And I got diabetes three days before my leaving cert. I was so sick. I was kind of told not to do the exams. I was meant to do my exams in hospital. My head was so fuzzy, confused. I couldn't concentrate. And I was like, no, I'm going to do them. But long story short, I ended up five points short of law so I didn't get law so my fourth choice was new media and English in UL which is so funny because now when you look at where my career has taken me I do look back and I think god that happened for a reason but at the time I was absolutely devastated really thought I was meant to be a lawyer so even throughout my career when things were going really good I still always had this kind of urge to do it like number one to prove to myself that I could do it because it's something I always wanted but I always had a real interest in it and especially when you run a business and especially when that business is a media publication I have had so many lawsuit threats over the years like I have a full legal team for business and for defamation and I've been involved in some of the back and forths and actually a couple of years ago I won't even say who it is, but probably one of the most famous rappers in the world tried to sue the company. And my solicitor was on a yacht in Monaco and couldn't get to his phone. So I was like, right, I'm just going to reply. I know the laws around defamation more than most people probably even in that area of law I just know it so well and I sent a reply and when my solicitor read the email when he got back he was like that's word for word what I was going to say so I kind of knew the last couple of years I was quite good at understanding the law so then Mm. when the pandemic hit it was very different for people who were number one um compromised so I'm diabetic type one diabetic right so I was high risk and number two I was single and when I was sitting back kind of watching what everyone was doing and how everyone was coping most people were at home with their families or they decided to move in with their boyfriend so I was seeing like pregnancies engagements you know family members moving back in together who maybe used to work away and I was thinking to myself what can I do in these two years because anyone close to me will tell you like I let everybody go home from work before Leo ever did his very first talk about pandemic like I just knew this was going to be two years I'd said it to everybody so I had a feeling it was going to go on for two or three years and I was just watching seeing everybody kind of creating these milestones in their life where they were like like I said getting married getting engaged starting new relationships people were jumping from first dates to like getting married or you know they decided to have a child now instead of having their wedding and I was completely on my own and when I mean on my own like I didn't see my family for six months at all I saw no one. There was actually a period of time where I didn't leave my apartment for six weeks, like at all at the beginning. Yeah. So my mind was not in a good place. And obviously I was still running Goss and, you know, trying to organize that, which is a very, very full on part of my life. But I wanted something else and I wanted to feel some sort of sense of accomplishment and without jumping into this part of it just yet but I obviously knew as well that Coco's Law was coming through in a couple of months and it's something I had been a part of and something I was really passionate about and I had 
been starting to think I want to help bring legislation into Ireland. So the two things kind of fit at the same time. It's like, number one, I want to have a sense of accomplishment when this is over and I want to use this time to actually do something. And secondly, I was starting to get involved in something more political and I wanted my voice to be heard on TV and radio not as Ali from Goss, but as someone who had an actual background in legal studies and knew what they were talking about and could speak about current affairs. So I just applied for it. I think Griffith College, the enrollment, like it was ending the next day to even apply. And I just applied for it and I got it and that was it. And it's one of the best things I've ever done. Like, I don't know how I've got a first class honours in every subject so far. I don't know how because I literally have no time. But I think just like all areas of my life, I just strive for unrealistic absolute perfection but then obviously that whole campaign kicked off in the middle of it and I started doing TV and radio before Coco's Lock even kind of kicked off I started doing current affairs segments so it kind of all just happened together mm. and I do really believe in you know the law of attraction and what you put out there coming back and that was genuine proof of it because I think I'd only just applied for the degree and I started being asked to come on to panels talking about current affairs and things that were going on politically and stuff like that. So since then, it's just been going that way continuously. But it takes a particular type of person to want to do law. And I wondered if some part of your uh, attraction to justice mm. and fairness and the the right outcome, the appropriate outcome for the appropriate person traces back to some of the tough times you had in school. Mm. Now, you're not shy about admitting that bullying started for you in primary school yeah. at the age of four. Four years old, I know. Yeah, it definitely. And it's so funny because I say this to parents all the time now. A lot of my friends are parents now. And I watch things happen to like toddlers, you know, when they're three, like someone shoves someone or a kid's upset and, you know, parents are like, oh, he'll be fine. And I'm like, I literally have like such PTSD because I still remember like the very first instant. It was something so small, like I was pushed off a wall by this girl. But that kind of just began years of genuinely what felt like a targeted campaign. And that's what I think bullying is with girls. It's very mm. different with guys and girls. Sometimes it's quite similar, but that's what it felt like for me. And it's never left me. And I've honestly never gotten over it. And the issue with me is that it happened at such a young age. So I was four. It was it was when we were getting all the letters. I don't know if this is the same for you, but in the school we went to, everyone on our road got letters to tell them what class they were going to be in for junior infants. And this girl realized we were in the same class. And we had been friends hanging around as four-year-olds do. And uh, when she realized we were in the same class, I got pushed off the wall or whatever. So she obviously wasn't happy about it. And I would have been a very bubbly, bright blonde, chatty little girl. And I was really into like music and acting. Like I went to stage school. I always wanted to be the center of attention. So I can imagine looking back that I was probably a prime suspect and a prime tar target really, I suppose. For I, bullying. I, hate that. I hate that, right, to, to yeah. start with, because when I heard you speak about this before, uh, I recognized that. And you probably know this by now, that ambition or belief that there's something more for you in the world can in Ireland be read as who the fuck do you think you are? Uh, yeah, it's tall, it's tall poppy syndrome. And in all seriousness, and I'm sure you've seen this too because you're very well-traveled as well. Like I have been 
at some of the biggest events in the biggest circles, sitting with some of the biggest people in Cannes, Monaco, London, LA. I have never in my life experienced begrudgery like how it is in Ireland. Never. And I mean, like, I have been around some of the most famous people in the world that should be, you know, getting begrudged and should be getting this sort of attention. And they don't. It is so strange. It's very much a small town mentality issue in Ireland. I personally think most people in this country don't really go out and follow their dreams. It's just not the way we were raised. It's really back to the whole old Catholic thing. And I think when people can see their neighbor or the girl down the road or someone in school going and doing the things that they wish they were able to do instead of learning from them and befriending from them, they just have to cut them down. And to be honest, like, I thought I had such a terrible time in school. Like it's really come the whole way up to present day. Like if I thought it was bad in school, I mean, the trolling online is crazy. But the thing is, because people do always ask me all the time, like, you know, where does the ambition come from? And I'm sure you know this from all the amazing guests you've spoken to as well. There is always some trauma behind people who go out to put themselves out there. You know, there is this feeling that I want to prove myself and it's not just to myself, it is to other people. And in a way, I'm glad I have that mentality because it's made me so ambitious, but it comes from a place of sadness and emptiness and feeling not good enough and feeling like no one likes me, no one believes I'm capable, no one wants to know me or support me. Like that feeling is in me forever. Like, you know, that inner child voice will never leave me because that's how bad it affected me and how traumatic it was. And it was dealt very badly with the principals in that very first school. And then I'm sure if you listen to that interview or I can't remember if it was a podcast or not, but I moved schools three times in total um, because it kept happening again. And that's the issue, I suppose, when it happens so young is you what do. You, what do you put it down to? I mean, like you like you say, you blame yourself, but mm. like I some just, of it is tall poppy. Mm. But, you know, you definitely it didn't dim that light. No. <laughs> that's well, what's great is you, you definitely didn't change. No, I have changed. I've I've changed a lot. I'm able to do, to bring that part back sometimes for work. But like, if you lived in my head, you'd know that's gone. Like that little girl died. Mm. Like it's so sad. Like it makes me so sad because, you know, I'm mad to have children and everything. And if I could see that light, you know, fade out of my daughter's eyes, I would be so devastated. And you know, my mom says that that's what it looks like. So in the very the very last time I moved school, I moved from a public school to a private school in the end. And the private school was the best school I ever went to. It was tutorial in Limerick. It's basically like the Institute in Dublin. It was a grind school. So no one cared about each other. It was just like, get your results and get out. You know, it was very serious. But I remember, Mm. I don't really remember the whole time. Like a lot of my teenage years and school years are completely blacked out in my mind. Like there was one time where I actually had to go back to my secondary school because my sister was getting an award and I literally had a panic attack. Like I can't be around schools. Like it really, that's how bad all of that was for me. But I remember only recently talking to my mom about when I moved the last time and she said that it was during the Christmas break and I was having like a great time. And as every day was nearing closer and closer to getting back to school, she said the light in my eyes literally went away and she was like, no, I can't do this. And, you know, I've been really honest about it. Like I self-harmed in school. Like that's how bad it was for me. I literally didn't want to be in my own body. I had no sense of control. Every day was so horrible. Like, you know, I used to go to sleep not wanting to wake up. That's how dark it really did get for me during certain times of school. And, you know, 
I only got like C's and D's and everything. I failed junior cert um, science. So I was really like, this isn't for me. I need to do something else. Maybe I'm going to be a hairdresser. Like I had all these ideas. And then when my mom moved me to the grind school, that's when I started getting A's in everything. And that's when I was like, oh, right, I actually could definitely do more in my life. Maybe I'm going to be a lawyer. That's where that all happened. So before that, I didn't think it was possible. But now, obviously, looking back, I think I was so upset and so mentally not present that I just wasn't able to take an in information. Like, I remember being in classes where everyone would move their chairs away from me and they'd literally physically isolate me in front of teachers and nothing was done. Like, imagine a girl age like 13, 14, having to go to school every day and know that that's what's going to happen and no one is going to stick up for you and no not even an adult is going to ask you are you okay like that's the way my life was there's never a justifiable reason for them doing that but what was the reason they gave at the time well funnily enough a couple of years later one of the girls in the group rang me one time and she said that a lot of the girls just didn't like that I came into the school and I just basically got what I wanted. Like I'd be very bubbly, like I said, like and I still had bits of that in me. So like I was singing in the school choir, I was singing the solos, I was going out with the lead guitarist in the band of the school. You know, that's the kind of person I am. And she told me that that's what happened, which to me is the most bizarre thing because I wish it was something else. I wish it was something I did or something I said that was wrong, but it was basically just being alive like and being positive was what triggered people because I was never mean or nasty never stole boyfriends none of that carry on ever like at all so I, I really think now as an as a 32 year old I can say that it was jealousy at the time and even in the last couple of years I would never have said jealousy mm. because my self-worth was was so low that I couldn't imagine someone being jealous of me but now and, that and I'm also older, there's a little yeah there's also a little part of y you that doesn't want to say they're jealous because it's it's viewed as egotistical yeah and that's that's a situation now as well like in some ways I'm it's hard it's a hard one to say because it's part of me is like god I'm glad my skin's gotten thicker because now the stuff that I deal with like there's even things I can't even tell you about it's so bad and I'm like, OK, well, look, I've been through this before, so I'm kind of able to manage it. But then on the other side, because it's been so bad before, sometimes when things happen to me or something gets said or a rumor gets spread or I hear people are saying things about me, it kind of triggers me back to that time. So there is no there's no winning either side. I don't really know what the answer is, how to actually have a thick skin. Is it to go through something and be prepared for it? I don't actually know. But what I've realized is, though, is that the reasoning behind the behavior, the trolling, the slamming, the bitching, the gossiping, the isolation is the same. I know 100% anyone who now would be talking badly about me or spreading rumors or whatever. It's only in hope that they can damage my reputation to make themselves feel better about how shit their lives are and themselves feel better about how bad their relationships are or maybe bad their careers are that they go to sleep at night and they think oh she actually isn't that great I'm okay and I do think that's actually where this all stems from so it makes mm. me sad that people are that unhappy but I, I have got to a point now where I'm like, that isn't true. You know, those things aren't right. And if people are going to say things or, you know, because even back in school, I remember notes would be passed around. It's always very similar, like in all sort of civilizations, it seems this kind of bullying technique where you kind of one person doesn't like you. Then there's a bit of a campaign. Then everyone doesn't like you. And then that's just the way it is. And I think that happens as adults. And now you'll see it too, Jared, with cancel culture. It's very, very similar behavior. Yeah. And, you know, what I see with you, Ali, is someone who 
goes after what they want, who isn't afraid to try and uh, will pursue that gut feeling that this is right. This is right for me. And I do think that if you were to look at why is it, why is there a pattern of this in your life, that that has to be at the center of it, you have a, a direct connection to some kind of wind vane in you that says, this is what the the law is proof of it. Goss.ie <laughs> is proof of it. There is something in doing that that frightens people. And yeah. I think they want to crush it. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. And the way you've categorized all that is so true. Like I get confused sometimes when someone comes to me and says they're really unhappy in their job or they really wish they lived somewhere else. I'm like, leave the job, go live there. Like, I don't understand at this point in my life why people don't do things because <laughs> now my, my head has changed so much. So if you said to me tomorrow, Ali, I need you to create the best shipper in Ireland within 12 months. I have zero concern. I know I'd be able to do it. It doesn't matter what the job is, what the task is, what the goals are. I know I can achieve anything I put my mind to. And if I wanted to live somewhere else or have a different job or earn a certain amount of money or create a campaign or create a product, I know I can do it. Every single person on this planet is capable of doing anything. That's that's what I believe. And a lot of that came from, it was actually my mom. She gave me The Secret when I was 17. You know that book, The Secret. Yes. And obviously it's because I'd gone through such a bad time in school and I actually finished school at 17. So I went into college at 17. I skipped transition year. I was like, do not keep me in the school for five more seconds. But I remember reading the book and a lot of people have complaints about the secret, you know, that it's very airy fairy, that it's way too intense. I didn't read every word verbatim, but I took from it was anything in this life is possible. You know, some of the stories in it were about, you know, someone having a plane crash until they could never walk again. And then they walked. Other stories were people who, you know, wish they were living in their car and they wrote a check for a million and prayed and hoped it was going to happen. And they did. The thing that I took away from it is things are possible if you believe it and you work for it. So I don't believe in, oh, visualize a picture of a new car and tomorrow you're going to get one. No, but <laughs> visualize the car, visualize the journey and then execute it and work hard. Like I am the one thing people say about me, which is so funny. This has come back to me a lot. Even people who don't like me have said the same word about me, which is grafter. Hmm. And that is the truth. Like even we moved into a new office there about three months ago and I had uh, a team in just putting the furniture together and stuff because I'm so bad at Ikea. And when they were doing all the furniture, I was going around just measuring things and putting up frames and I was like nailing things into the wall. I was on my hands and knees taking stuff off the floor. And one of the guys was like, look, I know nothing about you and I know nothing about your business, but I know <laughs> you're going to be a success. And I was like, why? I was there like in like terrible looking clothes, hair thrown up. And he was like, because I've never seen a business owner graft so much when all a team are here to do what you're doing. He was like, you just keep going off doing your own thing. And I was like, yeah, but this is my whole life. This is my business. I want to be over every single aspect. But it was so nice that he said that. And I do think people genuinely think that about me. They may not like me or like how I dress or like my opinions, but they know 100% that I work really hard. And that's what I genuinely believe is all you need to make things happen. Now, obviously, there is a lot of circumstances that matter, you know, like some people come from an impoverished background. So I can't say that everyone put your mind to it and you'll be grand. That's not what I mean. But I definitely think if you have the support and you have the ability to do something, 
you should go and do it. And even with relationships, I'm sure you're the same. People are always talking about they're unhappy, they're this, they're that. I'm like, all right, go leave it then. Get out of it. Like, do this, do that. Like, life is so short. And I think when people actually do let go of the things that are so negative in their lives and try something else, they do end up happy. But it's so rare. Like, even... When you think about the Goss journey, for example, right? So I launched Goss in 2014. I had been in a newspaper for two years before that and then a different newspaper before that, right? So I had three years in the industry. I was what I thought really good friends with really well-known journalists, a lot of people in the media. Literally the day I set up Goss, I barely heard from them ever again. And that was eight years ago. So even within that community, the fact that I did something on my own for myself that was different and tried to better myself and better the business it was so quickly frowned upon like immediately and whereas if I was in that situation I would befriend someone who I think is going to be the next whoever or is bringing out a new product or is making things better or is in competition with what I'm doing I'd want to know them but the, the same thing happened there everyone just backed off and didn't want to know and it's funny because it's our eighth birthday this month so we're eight years congratulations in business which is wild but I remember the first year someone in the industry coming up to me saying there's literally bets going around that you're not going to last past Christmas what yeah and these were people these were my peers by the way these aren't random people like these are people in the industry that are well known you would know them you know and there was what willing it to fail yeah and there was whatsapp groups going around it's just one of the people i knew in it liked to tell me about it it's not that they were on my side they just kind of told me about it there was a whatsapp group going around about me and the thing that i'll point out as well which i genuinely believe and i know people won't 100 percent accept this but a lot of it has to do with my gender you know like i rarely rarely see backlash or commentary at all about male founders who go out and do certain things but it was the fact i think that i was a girl that I was quite young and that I have a pair of boobs like and I would like to show them off they all seemed to be serious issues for people you know that I mm. took selfies that I wore revealing dresses and that I was also creating this business like it really bothered people and actually I don't know if you noticed but on my Twitter and on my Instagram it says in my bio building an empire you question mark right and I deleted it ages ago because I kind of just did it at the start because I was like, I launched Goss in LA and I had all these other plans for Goss, which some of them are going to be in fruition in the next few years. So I kind of was like Empire. And I was shown a WhatsApp chat and the name of the chat is Building an Empire You. And it's all about me. And it bothered me so much. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck you all. It's back up. I put it on everything. And then a friend of mine actually made a t-shirt for me that says building an empire you and I wear it all the time. I'm like, if it bothers you that much that you've set up a WhatsApp chat, like I'll say it every day if that's what you want. Like that's kind of where I'm at now with this whole stuff. Instead of letting it upset me and bother me, I'm like, why am I living rent free in your head? Like go live your own life. But let me get, let me jump in there, Ali, because, you know, I can relate on to a lot of this mm. what you're talking about like comedy is a tough game and entertainment is you know the wider umbrella mm. but comedy is similar in many ways that there are there are those that are creators uh they call them bus drivers and bus riders <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh i i i know that 
there are people willing other comics in their endeavors to fail. So yeah. I hear it and I feel it and see it around the place. And in certain car rides, you've been privy to those conversations. Mm. And it is it's grotesque, but it's also a kind of part of the game yeah. that I've kind of understood and knew early doors in this business. And I also know the comics that quit who understood that that if that's the dynamic mm. i can't buy in i don't yeah. want to be in this there has to be a part of you that recognizes that the entertainment game the showbiz journalism game uh, while it won't be unique this is the stereotype or the cliche of that business isn't it it's nearly like fashion in that way that it's you know, over the top of the sunglasses, you know, filing the nails, saying something mm. catty. Uh, there must have been a part of you at some points that were like, well, is is it just this game or is it all those experiences from your early life that make you go, no, no, this is everywhere. This is just how it is when you're brave. It just reminded me of Devil Wears Prada there and you said about sunglasses and the nail filing. Um, no, I think, it's a, I think it's a mixture of both. And it's really funny because I remember when I was like, eight years old or something so before I wanted to do law I did always want to be in media right that was what I wanted and I remember my dad's friend worked in RTE as like a videographer and um we went to his house one day for dinner and my dad was like will you talk Ollie out of this wanting to be in the media and I remember himself and his partner both worked in RTE and they were like it is so doggy dog and I keep, keep in mind I was a very sensitive child like they're mm. like it's so doggy dog blah 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 so both my parents were like I don't know like about you wanting to do this and when I was in UL I had we used my co-op to work in the Limerick Post newspaper and then I worked for a year in spin um so before Southwest, I even, yeah. yeah spin southwest yeah so before I even did my exams I applied for a job in the Herald and I got it so I hadn't even sat my exams yet so my parents were even like oh, I don't even know if you'd be able to get a job in Dublin you've been living in Limerick for 10 years blah blah, blah. but then I just got it so I was like right well this is happening because I wanted to and I went down for it but I remember really early on my mom especially was like are you sure you're able for this because I'm not like this now but at the beginning when you get into newspapers you're told exactly what to do and you don't have a choice really over headlines well not at all actually over headlines but over the editorial twist of something you know they kind of call it the poison pen you know the sure. way editors will change things and you know there were times where articles were written with my name on it that had content in it that I did not write and they wouldn't have been that you know they may re maybe they were a bit invasive on someone's personal life you know an angle that I hadn't gone with but then when I got my second job and I moved to the mail on Sunday I had a lot more control there and I won That's show was crazy. Raised. They were they were putting out they were putting out articles attributed to you that mm. you hadn't written. Well, no, we would have written them, but the angles of them wouldn't be the way we had done them. So you know sure. that, that happens to most journalists, and I do feel for a lot of journalists who have such a bad rep because if they, you know, if an article goes out and they're like, I didn't do it, you can't really go on the record and say, my boss changed that because that's your moneymaker. That's where you work. You can't do that. But that did yeah. happen a few sure times. It in the Irish Times. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember doing a, a little piece for the Irish Times about my favourite songs. And the headline they ran with was, I'm a big wet. I'll cry oh, at anything. God. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, and But I was very tenacious though. Even when, I mean, when I started, I think I was just turning to 22 or something and I would argue with editors and stuff like you know 
I didn't really get on with all of them in the first job because I was like, no, like I don't want to do this. But then when I moved to the mail on Sunday, it was a more senior sort of role. And then when I won show was journalist of the year. So I was the youngest journalist still to this day to ever win that award, to even be nominated for it, to be honest. But I remember when they announced me as the winner, they were they explain why the person's won and then they say the name. So I didn't really know who it was, but then they started saying like, this person has got more information and truth out of these subjects than other journalists in her, you know, peers older than her or whatever haven't done. I knew it was me because I've always been of the belief you can get a good story and you can entertain people without hurting them without Mm -hmm. invading their privacy and without putting things out there that they really really don't want to be out there and that's why I have such strong relationships with celebrities and like the secrets I know they are coming to my grave everybody knows anyone who actually knows me would know that they could trust me with anything like I would never repeat it and that's just not who I am and one of the reasons I set Goss up was for that reason because I still felt in newspapers at the time there was still this pressure to sell and a pressure to twist and I didn't want to be a part of that and I I defiantly wasn't a part of it in the mail you know like I I was able to look at headlines and stuff like that so that was I really loved that and that's kind of I suppose what started me on the journey of wanting to edit my own content completely and even um, the Gossies last year when we were online, I remember Laura Whitmore won TV presenter, best female TV presenter. And she sent us this really lovely video just um, thanking us for the award. And in her speech, she basically talked about the work ethics and the credibility of Goss. And I was so shocked, you know, to, I, I really didn't think she was going to say it, but she just was basically saying that we're not out to get people and we're authentic and we just write the news straight and that meant so much to me because it's very hard to do that and make money and be a woman in business and try to do this without investors and business loans so like for someone to actually be like you know what fair play you're doing this right like it meant a lot like well we're gonna take a break there because i have so much more to ask ali ryan and you can hear every minute of it by supporting our show. I say it every week, but Irishman Abroad can't exist anymore. It just can't go on without your support on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It's only a fiver a month and you get access to hundreds of episodes. I'm talking hundreds of episodes with the greatest Irish people ever to have lived. Deep dive conversations with people like Paul Meskell, Dylan Moran, Sharon Horgan. There's a couple of Laura Whitmore episodes up there if you're interested. And tons, tons more, including Sonia O'Sullivan coaching you on how to run on a Wednesday and Marion McKeown making sense of the news in the US each Friday. I promise you, you won't regret it. And even if you do, there's no commitment. You're not hooked in. You can cancel at any time you like. You pay whatever you feel you can afford pop over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad right now and see what you're missing out on. Jordan's reading. Heading over to London to see what lies beyond the shores tonight and I really hope it works out tremendously well for him. Hello, you're listening to the Irishman Abroad podcast with me, Jarnath Regan. This is episode one. I am extremely excited about it. The move to England 
seems to have worked out for the best as Charlotte's chat show podcast an Irishman abroad has a million listeners every week it's always up in the top one two or three of the most popular podcasts in a given week Irishman abroad has earned rave reviews for fancy newspapers like the Guardian the Irish Times I listened to a lovely interview this week by Jared Regan on the excellence and Irishman abroad podcast he has just returned from a trip to the Edinburgh Fringe where he recorded the 100th episode of his hugely popular broadcast series An Irish Man Abroad it's absolutely brilliant I'm a big fan and it's going from strength to strength the experience in Europe was beautiful Jar with Regan he did a great job I met him in Edinburgh the one, the one I like is the Irishman Abroad one and mainly because the, his interview style is so brilliantly ramshackle at the start it really annoyed me it has to it really annoyed me at the very start when they sweat the technique you think it's ramshackle yeah no, I, I think Jarlath actually really is ahead of the game actually when he's interviewing it's uh, an honour Jarlath to love your podcast <laughs> well, thanks, thanks a lot somebody told me about your podcast a few years ago and I obviously travel a lot the Irishman Abroad definitely take the box and I've downloaded a lot of your podcasts and most of all it's a time for honesty lads Honest Ken early there how you doing Mark <laughs> Honest Ken you showed the way in the very first broadcast I heard in 2017 this is from an Irishman Abroad I think you had half of the uh, previous uh, Irish rugby team on it I was getting uh, for God's sake will you, will, you, will you do me a favour will you get him off my back will you just talk to him will you? <laughs> more than one million people worldwide have listened and now Jarlath Regan is expanding his podcast Empire. You kind of got into the podcasting game before it became a popular thing, you could yeah. say. Look, you're never a man to sit on his hands. You've been doing other podcasts. And peep the technique. Thank you so much for having me on. I have the app and the subscription and everything. Anyone that knows you is well aware of your incredible podcast in Irishman Abroad. Like years ago when I first found your podcast, I said to myself, one day I want to be on that show. <laughs> and, and there was one story that I think Charlotte Regan told who presents an Irishman abroad that podcast and he does an amazing podcast called an Irishman abroad oh, it's an honor Charlotte to love your podcast great to be with you I love the podcast thank you thanks Charlotte it's such a pleasure and an honor I can't even tell you I, I'm such a fan 